There's a very popular TV show, from what I understand. I've, I've watched some episodes a number of years back, but it's called The Amazing Race. And just in order to be economical on our time, let me read the description. If you've never seen the show, this is what's on the website. The Amazing Race is a multi-Emmy award-winning reality TV series. This season, 12 teams of two people each will embark on a trek around the world. At every destination, each team must compete in a series of challenges, some mental and some physical, and only when the tasks are completed will they learn of their next location. Teams who are the farthest behind will gradually be eliminated as the contest progresses, with the first team to arrive at the final destination winning the amazing race. Okay, so let's say you're a participant. Let's say you're chosen to participate in this amazing race around the world. Who would you choose as your partner? Who would you choose as your partner? It seems to be the big issue because from what I recall, the episodes that I watched, that's where all the drama is. How do you handle frustration and, and the need to hurry up and, and the lack of resources and you're overtired? Who would you choose as your partner? Which countries would you hope you get to visit? What challenges would you want included? What challenges would you not want included? And how much would you be willing to sacrifice in order to win? Well, our passage today doesn't so much talk about an amazing race as it does uh, about an amazing mission, an amazing mission. This amazing mission happens to be an Im a mission that is intended to impact the entire globe, the whole world one life at a time. This mission, this amazing mission, is a global mission, an eternal mission, a mission that is to be all about the glory of God. And even more, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are already identified as a participant. You've already been set aside as an agent of this amazing mission, and you are highly equipped to participate in that mission, that global, eternal mission. All right, so before we read our text, let's just do a little bit of setup. In, in the telling of the story of Jesus that we find in Matthew's gospel, when we get to the last chapter, we find Mary Magdalene and the other Mary going to the tomb uh, to take care of the body after Jesus had died on the cross and he was laid in the tomb. And and they go and they find that the tomb is empty. And they're met and they're encouraged with these words. In fact, they even end up meeting Jesus. And they're told, go and tell the others and tell them to go to Galilee. And so the others go to Galilee. In fact, in verses 16 and 17, we find it's the 11 disciples. And even when we hear the number 11, we get a sense that, you know, something uh, happened in the story. Because there were 12 and now there's just 11. And and then we're told that they meet Jesus, and they meet Jesus in Galilee on a mountain, and, and that they worshiped him. But even as they worshiped him, it tells us in the text that some doubted. It paints this picture of things are a little bit messy. 
And to those who worshipped, including those who doubted, Jesus gives the following words. And this is our text for today. It's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Receive the word of God. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God bless the reading of his word and may God bless us as we come under his word even today. So there's a question that I ask myself in every time I prepare a sermon and, you know, why, why would somebody want to listen to this message? Why would, why would you want to listen to this message today? And I, I think there's at least two good reasons to listen to this message. One is that our text helps us to understand this amazing mission we're a part of. So you get to explore and dive into the amazing mission that you're in Christ already a part of. And the other piece of it is that we'll be taking a look at the amazing partner that we get to have as we're a part of this mission. So amazing mission, we'll know more about it, and we'll know more about our amazing partner. In fact, let's start with that latter one, the amazing partner. I went back and, and I searched through uh, um, at least six years worth of sermons and just to see if I had made mention of this story before. So, and it didn't pop up. So I'm, I'm uh, sharing a little bit of a story. The, the year I graduated from high school, my best friend, Dean Chandler, my brother, myself, uh, went on a bit of a trek. We left San Jose, California in a 69 Ford pickup and we drove all the way to New Orleans together. My brother's 20, I was 18, my friend was 18, and we had a great time. However, we also learned about each other as partners. <laughs> and, and so, uh, and I'm sure that they could come before, before you even today and give you a long list of, uh, here's, here's the struggles we had with Bob. Uh, um, I, I do know that um, in, with my brother along, there was some great advantages. He was such a responsible individual. Between the three of us, he was the most responsible, but he was also the greatest worrier. And in the truck, the truck was such that the, the dashboard would go out from time to time. You never knew when it would come back on. So we wouldn't know how fast we were going or how much fuel we had in the tank. It would just be gone. Uh, and the engine tended to overheat, so you had to pay attention to how hot the engine was. But but Mike was there to worry about all that stuff. Uh, Dean, Dean, the great thing about having Dean along was that Dean was always up for a good time. If you need encouragement to, hey, let's, uh, let's have a good time, Dean was, you know, two thumbs up. Although with Dean, uh, when it came time to set up camp or tear camp down or, or clean dishes, Dean liked to sit at the picnic table. <laughs> and that gave, became a little bit of an issue along the way understanding partners, understanding partners. Well, we've been going through this um, series, this With You series. We've been talking about this divine presence that God says, I'll be with you, and so God's presence with us, and we know that God is the all-powerful God, so divine presence, divine power. This morning, our conversation is going to be about fulfilling mission with God with us. 
God with you. Here's what we've covered so far in, in a couple of Old Testament passages. One was from Deuteronomy chapter 31. We heard these words. This is just as the time that the people of God were going to go into the promised land. And so Moses is talking to the people of God, and he encourages them, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, of the people in the promised land. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. God with you. Then we fast forward up to the time of Isaiah, and so this is in the book of Isaiah, if we understand the layout, that, that this is uh, Isaiah speaking well beyond his years into the, into the time where the exile is over, and we find in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, these words of God coming to the people of God uh, as prophet, as words through the prophet, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So here as the people are moving beyond exile, as that, that exile time has come to an end and there's this return to the land that's going to be taking place, and, and there's movement, and God says, I'm with you. God with you. And then just last week, we jumped into the New Testament. We find Jesus, you know, at that that time, that last conversation really he's having with his followers, that upper room conversation, and he's about to go to the cross, and he has words for his followers. He says, and as I go away, that I, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, another paraclete, to be with you forever, another advocate, another comforter, another guide to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit with you, God with you, the Spirit with you. And now in our text today, we come to discover Christ with you, Christ with you. The last half of the uh, last verse in Matthew's gospel reads, and behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. You know, at the time that Jesus spoke those words, he was the risen Christ. And he's talking to his followers and he says, I am with you. Not just I will be, but I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now when we hear those words, and in fact for centuries now as, we, as the church has heard those words, it is the uh, ascended Christ that stands behind them. The ascended Christ having that pledge to us, I am with you always. And one day in the future, Christ will return. And we'll have a whole different experience of, of Christ with you, but even now between the risen Christ speaking to the disciples, and the future return of Christ, we have Christ with us. So if you've been paying attention, we have God with you, we have the Spirit with you, we have Christ with you. So let's back up a bit. When we put those three together, it's the Trinity with you, our triune God. And I thought maybe this morning we might take just a few moments to to describe a little bit by what we mean about the Trinity, there seems to be, in the midst of some church dialogue, uh, um, 
on a larger scale, there's some discussion going on of uh, what are we losing about our understanding of the Trinity, that, that there's been some movement in dialogue and reflection in the way we talk about the Trinity that, that may have uh, let go of some important things from past writings that we want to maintain in our current understanding. When we look back into the language, we know that there's been this discussion of three persons and one essence. Three persons and one essence. So let's let those be our, our uh, touch points this morning. When we think of three persons, maybe it might be helpful in, in, in our context, just given our context, maybe even to use a little bit of air quotes when we say persons, because that there may be a difference between the meaning or the experience we have of persons in our our current life to life, and what we mean by persons within the triune God. What we do know is that there's this underlining of distinction. In fact, over the centuries when um, Christians have talked about this, they, they point out distinction. One way they talk about distinction, just to make sure that we're not just melding this into uh, one God that just changes costumes, like, like there's just this one God, and hey, now I'm the Father, and wait, don't look for a second, now I'm the Son, and wait, don't look for a second, now I'm the Spirit, that that's not how God operates, that there is a distinction within the singular one God. And so they talk about the Father sends, but is not sent. The Son is sent and sends, and the Spirit is sent, but, is not, but does not send. Did you, the Father sends the Son and the Spirit, but is not sent Himself. The Son is sent by the Father and sends the Spirit. The Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son, but does not send. And there's a distinction. There's a distinction between Father, Son, and Spirit. We know that when Augustine was reflecting on this, he would talk about the Trinity this way. His, his way of trying to describe what does it mean to have three persons, he goes, there's the, the lover the beloved, and the love they share together. When we track back through the Old Testament in the Gospels and then the life of the church, we find that in the Old Testament, indeed, God the Father is a primary character, the primary character. The primary character in the stories as we read through the history of God's people and encounter God at work in what we refer to as the Old Testament, that's not to say the Spirit's not active. The Spirit, we see the Spirit in the work of, that, of the Old Testament as well, and God pouring His Spirit out on individuals from time to time. And we even, now knowing the story of Jesus Christ, and we look back at the pages of, of the Old Testament, and we see Christ being spoken of even in the Old Testament. When we get to the Gospels, we find that the Son takes front stage. That Jesus is the one, the Word becomes flesh, became flesh, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the one and only. And Jesus is ministering and speaking, and, but Jesus makes that comment. Listen, I don't speak on my own. I don't act on my own. It's whatever words I share, it's the words of the Father. It's the acts of the Father that I'm doing. I can only do and say what the Father would have me do and say. And even when we read the stories, we find that the Spirit of God is active around Jesus, leading Him into the desert leading him into that temptation and, and, and moving and acting around. Even at the story of his baptism, we have the Father and the Spirit showing up. And then when we get to the time of the church, Jesus is, the, is risen and ascended, and, and the Spirit now is poured out on the church, and the Spirit 
steps forward. That's not to say that the Father isn't active or, or that Jesus isn't active. That, that the, um, we know that Jesus made that statement that whoever uh, loves me, that whoever keeps my commandments, that's the person who loves me, and I will love them, and I'll manifest myself, and the Father will love them, and we will make our home with him, the Father and the Son. Three persons, distinct. We see it in the pages of Scripture. So if there's three, then what do we mean by one? And the term is one essence, that there's one essence. And and the people go on to explain what do we mean by that. Well, there's one love, there's one power, there's one glory, there's one will. It's not that there's the will of the Spirit, and that's to be contrasted against the will of the Father, there's that Jesus has His power and the Father has His... No, that it's one power, one glory, one will, one love. There's some discussion going on in some quarters of the church about recapturing a phrase that was used a long time ago as part of the orthodox understanding of the Trinity. It's this phrase, uh, inseparable operations. Inseparable operations. And the basic meaning of this term is that when one person, when one person of the Trinity acts externally beyond the Trinity, all three act. The individual, uh, this professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, who recently wrote a a book on the topic, and he makes this statement, the doctrine of inseparable operations affirms that the triune persons act as a single agent externally, while internally their operations are divided. So when the Son prays to the Father, that's the Son praying to the Father. When the Father sends the Spirit, that's the Father sending the Spirit, and it's distinct. But when the Spirit acts and empowers, the Father and the Son are a part of that act, that when the triune God acts externally, that the one God acts together. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit convicting, remembering, empowering, helping, comforting, and guiding, yes, absolutely, And we can trust that the Father and Son are in full alignment, acting together. One essence. One essence. And so, Father, Son, and Spirit, with you. So, if we go to apply this, let me just bring out a couple of things. One is that if we want to apply this, I think that one of the first things we want to do is get to know the Father, Son, and Spirit. Get to know the Father and Son and Spirit. We've talked about it before. I've heard people say before, you know, I like Jesus. I just don't like the God of the Old Testament. But to accept the the Jesus of the New Testament is very much to embrace the God of the Old Testament. The God, uh, Father, God, Son, God, Spirit, that the one God, one God, Father, Son, Spirit, is to be known, and we're to know this God. In our current passage, Jesus is our focus. I am with you always to the very end of the age. One thing I would throw out there is that that we wouldn't just know him as a historical figure or as just our, our Savior, but that we would use him as our role model, that we would see Jesus as our role model, especially when it comes to disciple making. Jesus said, things like, listen, I'm the light of the world, but he also said, you're the light of the world. He says, as I've loved you, so love one another. 
as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. He said that, the, that he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. He calls us to serve and to serve others. We look to Jesus to be our role model in all these things in the amazing mission he has for us. So get to know the Father, Son, and the Spirit. The next thing would be, I would encourage us to embrace the Trinity, to embrace the Trinity, our triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. What does that mean? To recognize? Absolutely. The more we get to know him, the more we get to recognize God at work in our lives. To welcome him? Yes. The more we get to know him, the more we can welcome God's presence in and around us, not only individually but collectively. Does it mean to acknowledge Him? Yes, that the more we get to know Him, the more we can acknowledge God at work around us and in us to live with Him, to celebrate Him. There's a meme going around. There's a YouTube clip that goes along with it. It's about LeBron James. He happens to sit down next to this fan, this this fan, um, and when he sits down, the fan is just shocked, aghast, like LeBron James is sitting down next to me. The living God, Father, Son, and Spirit is with you, is with you. Not just a church teaching, The living God is with you. If that's our partner, our amazing partner, let's look at our amazing mission. As we've already mentioned, when we looked at that Deuteronomy passage where Moses tells the people, just, you know, be strong and courageous. You know, God is with you. When we look at the passage from Isaiah, the God speaking through Isaiah and the end of the... uh, the returning from the exile, and he says, I am with you. I am your God. I will uphold you. And when we look at that passage from John 14, Jesus moving to the cross, as I go, I'm going to be sending the Spirit. When I go, I'm going to send the Spirit. I'll ask the Father, and the Father will send the Spirit. There's movement taking place, this pledge of presence and movement taking place. And so when we get to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, we know that Jesus will ascend soon after this and be with the Father. But there's also this sending out of his followers to be on mission the rest of their lives. That the church is being sent out on mission. You, if you're a follower of Christ, you're being sent out on mission in the promise, the commitment that Jesus makes, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says it this way, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, baptizing them, as I think Bruno put it, in in the name of all of God, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. All authority, all nations, all of God, all that I have commanded, and he will be with us always. 
So if we were to apply this, if we were to accept the mission that God has given us as if we had a choice, as we accept the mission that God has given us, it calls us, I believe, we can think about it in three little big life-consuming steps. Trust. Trust. The first is to trust that, that when he says all authority in heaven and on earth, that we trust that. That Jesus is trustworthy, that there's no other authority that can overtake what Jesus is establishing for us. That I don't have that authority, you don't have that authority, culture doesn't have the authority. This is the amazing mission that Jesus has for his followers. Trust. The second thing was that we would go. You know, Jesus said to his followers at the time, go, that... that there's a sense of all nations that that go all nations go 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 from where you are now and just start meeting people and and engaging people and reaching out to more and more that all would hear the good news of jesus christ and be encouraged and equipped in discipleship that we would go that we would make disciples you might go, well, how do you do that? I, I'm not trained in that. That's why we send you to little pastor school, because you know how to do that. You know, in making disciples, if indeed that our amazing partners, our role model, Jesus, you know, the way he, we can look at his life, what did he do to make disciples? Jesus tended to do things like this. He would come alongside people. You and I can come alongside people just sharing in life and listening and coming alongside other people. Jesus let his light shine. We can let our light shine. What does that mean, let our light shine? We, we know from Paul's writings that, that the fruit of the Spirit are things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, gentleness, that that is, God is working in us to transform us to be more like Jesus, that we can let that shine around the people that we happen to engage. Jesus intentionally loved. He intentionally loved. You know, to love is to sacrificially care for the well-being of others. It's acting. It's moving. It's sacrificially moving for the well-being of others, caring, acting for the well-being of others. Well, we can do that. Jesus made a big thing of forgiving people, of forgiving people's sins, and, and we can do that. We can live out life. We can show mercy. It's a, a big piece of Jesus' gospel. We can do that. And Jesus would simply engage people. He would engage people. He, he would ask them these heart-level questions. Do you believe in me? What, what do you want? You know, you say, Lord, Lord, but why don't, you, why don't you do what I say? We can ask important questions. We can share. Jesus shared. He, he told people about who God is and what God wants, and we can do that. We can share about God's work in our life. And Jesus did kingdom stuff all the time. Well, we can do kingdom stuff. We can trust God to be at work around us. We, we can do the kinds of things that reflect God's heart in this world. Trust, go, and make. 
Jesus is with you, as is the Father and the Spirit. So your amazing mission and your amazing partner. You know, when we were talking about the amazing race, there were the questions of who would you choose as your partner, which countries would you want to visit, what challenges would you want included, and which ones wouldn't you want to be a part of it, what sacrifices of energy and time and patience and courage would you be willing to make? Well, when we talk about the amazing mission, here's your amazing partner. God has poured out His Holy Spirit on you. As we live out this goodness that God has given us in Jesus Christ, even God the Father and God the Son, that the Father and Son are with us as well. Destinations. It's just going across. It's going across the office, across the quad, across town, across the street, across the globe. It's just going the challenges we're going to face will be some of the same challenges Jesus faced. It's the establishment. It's the flow of culture. It's pre-existing mental models. We'll have the challenge of having to go deeper in our own faith of trusting God. There'll be the challenges that go along with our sacrifices of time and energy and patience, courage. Jesus says, take up your cross daily. In the amazing race, there is one team that wins. And that team that wins gets a million U.S. dollars. Woo! Paul, when he talks about what awaits those who are followers of Christ, he puts it this way. In 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, he goes, Listen, I have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The crown of righteousness. At the end of the amazing mission that God has given us. Let's pray together. Father, there is this great mystery about knowing you, that there's, even in all that you have revealed, there's so much more that, that we can only know in part, because we are creature and you are creator. So we admit up front that this is a mystery, that there's a, a mystery about knowing you. All we can know is what you reveal and what we can grasp and understand in our space and time. And yet, God, we want to know you. We want to know you for all that you've revealed. We want to know you as you are. Forgive us for, for trying to put you in a little box that we can control. We want to know you and let you really just pour yourself into our lives that you indeed are our amazing partner, that we get to live life with you, and that you've given us this amazing mission, not to do alone, but that we get to do it with you, you with us. So God, would you work in us this week? 
with what we know of you, would you send us out? May we go in response to the goodness we've received from you. May we cross that quad. May we cross that office, that street, whatever it is, and come alongside those that are right around us. And may all this be to your glory, that one day, that crown of righteousness, that we would hear those words as well, well done, good and faithful servant. To you be the glory. In Christ's name, amen.